Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 53, and on this episode, we talk district energy. But before we do, I'd like to welcome my co-host, uh, who's back after a bit of a hiatus. I had a, I had a guest co-host, but Lisa, you're back. Welcome to Energy Radio. Good afternoon, Matt. It's good to be back on. Good. Glad to have you. And uh, let's jump right in. I want to uh, welcome our guest uh, today from the International District Energy Association. We have uh, a man who, you know, in energy spaces actually doesn't need an introduction. We have Rob Thornton, who's the president of IDEA. Uh, Rob, welcome to Energy Radio. Uh, thank you very much, um, Matt. It's great to be here and good to see you, Lisa. Thank you. Well, Rob, thanks uh, for joining. And I, you know, we've, as, as all of us have kind of grown up in, in this in industry, the IDEA was, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of on a pedestal in our office, to be honest, in terms of a, a really great organization. And you guys have a worldwide presence. And, you know, I know you have had a, a really good team around you and great membership base. But, you know, obviously, a lot of that probably is attributable to you. So, so for me to have you on is, is kind of a big deal. So this is exciting. So why don't we Maybe before we get too deep into, you know, all things IDEA and district energy, Rob, why don't you just give uh, the listeners a bit of your backstory and, and how does that bring you to, to IDEA and bring you to today? Sure. Well, th thanks, Matt. Um, so backstory, um, you know, I've been in energy really my whole career started. I was uh, between my freshman and sophomore years in college. I I was going. I was at Tufts University, and uh, I really wanted to stay in Boston for the summer. So I went to the financial aid office and said, "Hey, uh, uh, do you have any internships?" And you know, the guy ruffled around, gave me an index card, and I went. I showed up on Beacon Hill at the Energy Policy Information Center. Uh, it was a Ford Foundation group, two young guys writing a book, and they said, "Okay, uh, kid, you know, I, I show up. You know, hi, I'm from Tufts. So I'll, you know, I'll <laughs> sort of." wet behind the ears and they say, okay, uh, kid, uh, why don't you do research on the greenhouse effect? So this was 1978. Jimmy Carter was in the White House. It was the second oil embargo. You know, the uh, energy was the moral equivalent of war, right? So I, I began to research this thing called the greenhouse effect, then global warming, now climate change. So this is like 45, 40 plus years ago. And frankly, Matt, I had an epiphany, you know, it was kind of like, wow, this is really a problem. Our both our energy policy and, you know, how much energy we consume and, you know, not only this. So, I, you know, I switched my major from child study to uh, I ended up with a degree in psychology, but also did work in energy and environment, went on to uh, pursue some uh, some um you know, additional work uh, in the at the university, and and then had an internship at the De U.S. Department of Energy in Boston for a couple of terms, uh, and so uh, you know, it really, it it just uh, you know, I've been in the space. So then, professionally, I graduated from Tufts in 1981. Professionally, I worked in the solar energy industry for five or six years. Uh, the tax tax laws of 86 kind of put a, a hole in that industry. I, I then moved into geothermal. It was doing large-scale uh, geo-exchange uh, development with a, a company here in Massachusetts. Then finally, I was. it was 1987. I was getting married. I had to kind of get serious. I answered an ad uh, at what was then the Hartford Steam Company in downtown Hartford, Connecticut. And um, was offered the position and started in district energy in 1987. Um, so 
Uh, it's really, I, you know, I've been in the space for, you know, it's hard to believe 43, 44 years now. Wow. Yeah. So you actually spend some time in district energy cutting your teeth before you come to IDEA. Is that right, Rob? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm really from the industry, not an association person. I've sort of learned the association business. Uh, so I was in Hartford with the district energy system there. In the five years I was there, it doubled in size. Hartford went through a building boom and we captured every new building. The, you know, the business was really uh, uh, pr highly performing. It was owned by the local gas distribution company, Connecticut Natural Gas, and was actually producing 26% of the earnings per share for the parent company with, with less than 10% of the income. Wow. So it was really a highly valuable asset. And at the time, it was one of the world's largest uh, it was the world's first downtown district cooling system. Hmm. Began operating in 1962, um, uh, and then at the time we had added uh, combined heat and power, three different cogeneration uh, facilities, and at the time it was like one of the largest combined heat and power district cooling systems in the planet. Uh, but has since been, you know, dramatically dwarfed by. Uh, by others in IDEA, uh, but I, I, to be honest, I'll, I'll admit it here <laughs> on Energy Radio. Uh, when I showed up for work, I, you know, I knew a lot of, you know, I had been in energy really, you know, for quite some time and very always curious. But I really didn't know how commercial buildings worked. I didn't really know how chillers worked, um, and I was fortunate to really have a terrific mentor and be surrounded by very talented people. And uh, really, you know, uh, learned so much in, in the five years I was in Hartford. Formed a user group. You know, the customers really were our strongest resource and ally. Uh, and it was a great, great learning experience. A, a really great place to start. Cool. And you've been at uh, IDA, Rob, for 20 years, you said? Yes. Uh, I've been running the association as the president since 2000. So in in June, it'll be 21 years. Uh, I, prior to that, I'd served on the board of directors for, uh, you know, about a decade and had, had chaired the association when I was in the industry. So I, mm -hmm. I've been both a, uh, you know, a consumer and a participant in IDEA for really my, my career since 1987, but uh, running the association since uh, 2000, so 21 years now. Wow. So you've, you've obviously stuck with it for some time. So why, why is that? You obviously love what you're doing, but uh, th there's something about IDEA, I guess, that you're excited to wake up to every morning or uh, what's the, what's the, what's the story behind that? Yeah, well, actually, uh, uh, I, I wake up now because my family got me a puppy for Christmas. <laughs> so, so I actually I wake up and my first order of business is to kind of, you know, visit the woods around our house and, you know, pick up a pile of poop and you know, <laughs> spend the morning with our dog Huckleberry. So that's that's my first order of business. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, IDEA is really a, it's a terrific place. It's populated by really, you know, wonderful people, so talented and smart and, you know, professional and collegial uh you know i really do I, i'm i'm fortunate because our industry is really i think you know populated by a, just a high caliber you know uh in you know people and 
Um, and running an association certainly has its challenges. You know, with COVID, we've really we've had to pivot our our bread and butter are, are really conferences and workshops and sort of that live interaction, that peer exchange. So we've had to, you know, we've had to pivot to a virtual uh, model and, and we're, we're continuing to work at it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, IDA has been uh, really good to me and, and uh, really, I, you know, I, I think I've been helpful to seeing it grow over that and, time. And, and it's really a, a legacy, legacy industry, right? A legacy association, like it has a, a quite a, maybe walk us through a bit of the history of IDEA, Rob. Yeah, so it was formed in 1909. So now we're, you know, 112 years in. Uh, it's always been a nonprofit trade association. It was originally formed really by the the combined heat and power industry, uh, the steam utilities that own systems in cities. So when Thomas Edison invented the electric utility, he also really invented the steam business, the district energy system, you know, the business for cities. And he found he couldn't make a profit just selling the power. He had to sell the heat too. Uh, you know, you can't you can't just have, you know use the egg white. You got to use the yolk. And because when he went to buildings and said, "Hey, I'd love for you to buy my electricity," they said. Well, that's cool, but you know we have a dynamo in the basement, and we make our own heat and electricity right now. So if you want me to buy your power, someone's got to give me heat. And so, you know, really, Con Edison, the precursor to Con Edison, you know, began in you know eight, uh, 1887, and you know, in Manhattan, the Pearl. Street Station. So the, the IDEA was really the these Edison companies, all you know, Boston, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Denver, all the major cities had district heating systems that were really byproduct of electricity generation downtown. And they and they would come together to you know talk about okay, so how do you market this? How do you sell it? How do you meter it? How do you manage it? What are the safety protocols? All of those really peer exchange sort of core functional issues. So that that was our DNA, you know, 112 years ago. It's our core function still today. Mm. Peer exchange and helping our members do their jobs mm. well, safely, and uh, yeah, and profitably, and and now sustainably. You know, that's really kind of where uh, a lot of the eff effort is headed. Before we go too far, it's we yeah. probably would uh, benefit from a. Uh, you know, from a, a, um, a definition of district energy. Uh, for, for some of our readers, you know, we've talked about different forms of energy, but I think this is actually the first time we've keyed in on on district energy. So it's good that we're starting where we're starting. So can we put you on the spot and, and give us a workable definition of district energy? Sure. Um, so district energy, I, I'd say in its simplest form, is a central plant that uh, produces steam or hot water and or chilled water, right? So thermal energy primarily. And uh, central plants are widely used. There's 900 in, in the United States, you know, that are active. Uh, and then there's an underground network of pipes so that the plant will produce and, and, then, uh, and then distribute thermal energy. So the buildings can use it for heating space, hot water, and also chilled water for air conditioning. Um, so it's literally it's a district or a cluster or a community or a central business district, airport, healthcare, hospital, campus. Uh, the the beauty of district energy is really the economies of scale, right? So when you centralize the production, you eliminate 
you know, multiple um, uh, chillers, boilers in every building, you know, the redundancy. Uh, so there's capital avoidance, space savings. But fundamentally, you know, district energy is um, the production or recovery, right? So a lot of district energy systems, you know, will recover uh, waste heat from a data center, uh, heat from a steel mill, uh, chilled water from a nearby lake or ocean, you know, river, uh, and then distribute that thermal energy to aggregated, you know, kind of connected customer buildings. Um, and, and, and then it, you know, district energy has many flavors and forms. Uh, so there's combined heat and power, right? So you make, you make heat, you can then, you can then also make power or you can make power and recover the heat. Uh, there's district cooling where we produce chilled water. Um, let's say, you know, the supply temperature is 38 or 40 degrees F. Energy always flows downhill, right? Hot goes to cold. So what we do is we bring cold water into a building. It absorbs the heat in the space. Energy, like gravity, flows downhill, right? So you bring cold in. Uh, so let me let me just step back. There's no such thing as cold. It's the absence of heat, right? So what we do, we bring cold in, and it absorbs the heat in the you know in the air in the space through air handlers etc comes in at 40 is uh, returns at 54 56 or 60 degrees all we're doing is uh, you know absorbing heat from from the buildings on the thermal network on the thermal grid um, you can also have microgrids right so you can produce electricity and, and provide that electricity to connected buildings, a lot of our campuses. And when the weather gets really severe, the grid gets strained, either or high, high cost or out of, out of supply, you island and continue to provide both cooling, heating and power to your district, to your, you know, your cluster. Um, and that's a really, I'm, I'm running long here, Matt, but, but that's really important these days. We just had the deep freeze in Texas, right? Where, you know, communities were without energy services for eight or 10 days. Superstorm Sandy hammered, you know, New York and Connecticut, New Jersey. The district energy systems remained operational throughout that interruption. And that, so resiliency has always been our core strength and now is becoming a very important attribute of our of our industry. So I'm, uh, you know, for the kids who are listening, that was Professor Thornton there uh, educating <laughs> us on cold is the absence of heat and uh, love that. Um, so one of the, and sorry, Lisa, I think you, you had a question there. I'll just ask kind of quickly. That's okay. Um, you know, there's, I, you know, I love, you know, this, I, but one of the struggles I think, and, and for you and for your members, Rob, is there's, there is a lot of aspects to district energy, right? Like, right. And, and and that's a beautiful thing and it's an exciting thing, uh, but it's also a challenging thing, right? It, it's not as simple as, you know, signing up a bunch of farmers and putting wind turbines in the air. Um, you know, and I, and I can say that tongue in cheek, my father's a wind developer. So, you know, I, I can, I, I come by that honestly, but in district energy, you got all these stakeholders, you got all these complicated things like, is that one of the challenges that you and your members face is it's a beautiful thing, but it's also challenging. Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, no, that's a very good point, Matt. And I, 
I guess I kind of rely on the sort of the, you know, the thinking of Tip O'Neill, you know, great congressman here from Massachusetts. He said, you know, all politics is local. I think the same really goes for district energy, like really, you know, good district energy is local. So if you're in St. Paul and you're recovering, you know, waste, you know, waste wood from the Twin Cities area that was otherwise going to landfill, you're using that in lieu of coal. That's a, a tremendous local solution to make heating, cooling, and power. Uh, keeping the energy dollars recirculating in the local economy, actually creating value what, for what otherwise was a, a landfill problem. If, if you're in, if you're at the uni Cornell University or downtown Toronto, when you happen to have a, you know, a lake nearby, that lake can be, is a source of cooling. And at Cornell, it's Lake Cayuga, right? A very deep glacial lake. In 1990, they began air conditioning, you know, the campus, 14 million square feet, about 150 buildings. And essentially what they did, they made a capital investment in this lake water cooling system and traded an electricity bill for a bond payment. Mm. So over the next 15 years, instead of buying electricity, and they cut their cost for air conditioning by 87%, nearly 90%, wow. right? So they're running a pump, you know, they're taking the water off the bottom of the lake where it's always cold, very deep and cold. That goes to a heat exchanger building, and then it's pumped uphill one mile to this campus and cluster of 150 buildings. And those buildings put their heat in the water and it flows back downhill and then it, and then it you know, but it only adds 10 degrees to this massive lake. It's, it's literally just like moving 10 degrees. So after 15 years, instead of paying the local electricity utility, right, for power and demand, et cetera, Cornell paid off their bond. They had they made this investment in this asset and it was paid for. Now you all you have to maintain it. You you know you got to clean the heat exchangers. It, it, it's not you know it's not it's not a you know a perpetual motion machine. <laughs> but but it's it's literally local energy. And so and get, and you know what Cornell is doing right now? They're evaluating deep geothermal. They're going to drill a hole in the ground two miles deep eight like i think eight thousand i should i should know my math but, but it's almost two miles deep it's like eight thousand meters right and in ithaca new york there's all of this heat in the earth that you know basically they're going to put water in a column and take the heat out of the earth and that's how they'll heat the campus and that's going to be a significant again capital investment but over time it'll, it'll it'll pay for itself not only in energy savings but emissions right so Reykjavik you know there's all this geothermal in Reykjavik uh, Copenhagen they don't they don't throw their trash in landfills in Denmark they make heat and power with it 60% of the heat, 99% of the buildings in downtown Copenhagen are on district heating. 99%, wow. right? And uh, so in our friends in Europe and Northern Europe and Scandinavia, you know, they, they've really invested in district energy. It's ubiquitous. But they also, I think, have the advantage of tax policy and carbon policy. I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but... Um, 
and you know, at IDEA, you know, I think one of the advantages of being a part of IDEA is that you know it, we do connect people that are doing just these innovative, you know, kind of complex, but at the same time, like simple, you know, really, you know, obvious solutions. And, and we help each other not make the same mistakes, right? So, so that that's, that's, I think, the real, you know, kind of benefit advantage of being a member of IDEA is that there's, it's a community of people who really want to help each other because in, in the end, we're only as strong as the weakest among us. Mm -hmm. So if one of us, you know, slips and falls, we all get muddy and, and, and you know, and, and, and it works. And I've, I know Lisa's dying to jump in and Lisa, you can, um, I'll, I, I just want to touch on that. And that is, I've always said to our, the folks in our office that, you know, the, 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 the density or the the you know I've used the term fish in a barrel in terms of you know going to IDEA conferences the 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 depth you know particularly you know for our space you know the campus energy one right. is just a, you know but both I've been to both and both are excellent and just you have people that are so knowledgeable and and you see one district energy operator talking to another one and they're comparing notes and you see you know one you know vendor talking to another or whatever and it's to your point it's like everybody's Kind of work. It's it's us against the world a little bit, and and yeah. and and yeah. so we're all working together. So I I 100% agree. I've I've felt that that there's just such a uh, a depth of 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 people working in the same direction. So yeah. just wanted to touch on that, Lisa. You yeah, go ahead. Not. Yeah, no, Rob. I was going to ask, and <clears throat> maybe now this is the perfect time to do that. Um, you know, you were talking about different technologies earlier, talking about CHP and geothermal and heat pumps. You know, you've been obviously in the space for a long time. You've been with IDEA for 20 years. What what changes have you seen in terms of some of the technologies that have been deployed in the past, what you're seeing now, and what you expect to see potentially in the future? Yeah, I, you know, I think, Lisa, I think the industry, you know, continues to evolve. Um, I, I, I think at the core, our members are focused first on efficiency. And, you know, and efficiency has its own benefits, right, of economy and environment. Um, reliability is also, you know, kind of a core principle, reliability and resiliency. And, you know, and I think our members are, you know, are very good at that. So, so those are, you know, that, those are kind of, kind of at the core, you know, the, that's really the heart of the value proposition. Um, so I think, you know, when I, when I started in the industry, uh, CHP, you know, cogeneration, marrying district energy with electricity generation, that was, I, I think, in the, you know, for the first five or 10 years, that was sort of the direction. Um, uh, waste energy was sort of, you know, a, a, a driver, but then we had a Supreme Court ruling that kind of, you know, uh, uh, impaired that uh, going forward. Uh, then district cooling. You know, uh, so in uh, from the 1990s through 2000 in North America, we had over 60 new district cooling systems launched and grown. Wow. Uh, so that was like North America, right? Like air conditioning in cities and campuses, the efficiency, thermal storage, you know, district cooling was really growing. And the electric utilities were some of the prime investors in district cooling systems in their core cities, in their backyard. And then our friends from the Middle East began to sort of, uh, you know, participate. And uh, an IDEA uh, got, you know, attracted uh, and supported growth 
in places like Abu Dhabi and Dubai, United Arab Emirates, etc. And now they've like dwarfed us. Uh, you know, one of our members in Dubai, I think, owns nearly 80 central plants in downtown Dubai. Wow. Uh, uh, I think the combined tonnage, you know, is like 1.5 million tons of cooling. Just to, <laughs> So when I was in Hartford, when I left the Hartford district cooling system, it was the largest in the world at 25,000 tons. you know, exposing it to inefficient, high cost, uh, you know, uh, individual, you know, cooling units in buildings. And both and across the UAE, both in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, district cooling accounts for millions of tons of avoided carbon, you know, greenhouse gas emissions every year. And, and, and it's, you know, not to mention the, you know, obviously the Middle East where, you know, in Dubai, we're in a, on a summer day, it can reach 125 or, uh, you know, 140 degrees F, I mean, right? Um, uh, so air conditioning isn't a convenience or a luxury. It's a life safety issue in, right. you know, in those economies. But district cooling, it, you know, continues to grow globally. And I think, you know, our work, we've been working with the United Nations Environment for, uh, you know, a number of years now, nearly, you know, nearly a decade. And God bless them. They, they've really helped promote and advance the deployment of district cooling, particularly in emerging economies, right, where, uh, you know, where health and, and, and well-being and efficiency matter. So, so cooling. Today, I think where we're headed is maybe the integration of electricity and power and, and thermal again, microgrids. Mm. And where members are, are really focused, uh, certainly at our institutions, is in decarbonizing their grids, right? So mm. moving to geothermal, because we've aggregated, right, the, you know, we already have the connected hundred buildings, right? There's already the, you know, the market is in place, that makes the scale for geo exchange, you know, that much more economically feasible. So, so we see a lot of interest in, you know, the, uh, moving to to uh, you know newer, lower carbon uh, solutions. And are you seeing the majority of the growth, Rob, in communities or cities or campuses? Like, where are you seeing the majority of the growth right now? So I'd say the campuses are really uh, in the sort of modernizing. Um, you, know, uh, you know, campuses are certainly expanding. Uh, you know, they're adding uh, square footage, or, or at least they have been. So I, I think campuses uh, are, and you know, the advantage of a, a uni college or university campus, they also have a, a longer investment horizon, right? They, you know, they know they're mm -hmm. going to be there for another 120 years. They, they have a different risk tolerance. Um, and they're frankly, very motivated to reduce carbon, right? They're, they're, 
clients, their students, their consumers are ardent about, you know, going to, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a sustainable um, you know, institution. I, I think cities, mayors who have dealt with Superstorm Sandy and really the, you know, that have been hit on the chin by extreme weather, they want more resilient energy uh, assets, right? They want infrastructure renewal. And and we've, we've been working with a lot of other organizations around the world trying to help cities sort of stand up, you know, district energy assets. And, you know, I think as we're sort of coming out of COVID, cities and towns really uh, are challenged in so many ways, right? Infrastructure is aging, other needs are, you know, are obvious. Uh, and tax revenues have been impaired, right, by this, you know, COVID. So what we are seeing, though, is a movement towards uh, 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 PP, PPP, right, Pr private-public partnerships. So, you know, our members with assets and experience and scale, you know, can bring those to bear to cities and communities and, and certainly universities. So, so we see partnering... Mm -hmm. Uh, as uh, you know, I think it, it, it doesn't work in all places, right? But it, it can unleash, uh, you know, capital and deploy capital. Um, so, Lisa, I've been sort of running at the mouth and I forgot your original question, but you, I think you asked me, like, where is the game, you know, sort of active? Um, That's right. And, and I think it's, I think wherever there's cluster and scale and you can aggregate, um, you know, we see in Denver, you know, there's a new development, the Western Town Center, you know, is ha they're they're putting in district energy infrastructure. They're going to recover the heat from the sewage treatment plant. You know, not unlike in Vancouver uh, with the False Creek, right, for the Olympic Village. Um, so, I, you know, I think uh, I, I think that obviously starting a new system in a city has, you know, it's it's climbing a mountain sometimes. It, a little bit like Sisyphus, right? Pushing a boulder up a hill and sometimes it rolls back on you. <laughs> um, but that's what, you know, 70% of the world's greenhouse gases occur in cities, right? And 50% of that energy is for heating and air conditioning cities. So if you ask me, you know, like, like Dillinger said, why do you rob banks? Well, that's where the money is. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I think cities are where we need to be you know, uh, attending. So, let, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about that for a bit, Rob, because um, you know we have this debate in you know in Ontario in particular, and I know in other areas in the Eastern Seaboard, you know, natural gas is a is a swear word, right? And and uh, and then at the same time, there's this drive for electrification, right? And so, you know, in the Ontario context, the simple numbers are: we have a 25,000 megawatt electric grid, and we have an 85,000 megawatt natural gas grid you think you're going to convert all those natural gas megawatts to electricity and you're not going to have new gas generation at the grid level so there needs to be a nuanced discussion and i think right. i think district energy you know has a big role in that i mean we also have conversations about renewable natural gas and um, this might be a record. We're 40 minutes in and we haven't mentioned hydrogen yet. Um, you know, I, I, we, Lisa and I have a little game that, you know, we always take the, the timestamp of how deep into the episode does hydrogen come up because everybody <laughs> wants to talk about hydrogen. But, you know, let, let's talk about a city like, you know, we think of here in Toronto of Markham, you know, really some real leadership. Yeah. Uh, Guelph, I think, obviously Toronto. What does it take, Rob, though? You know, if, if district energy is part of the solution to a decarbonized world, 
what does it take in your experience to go from like zero to one is a big step in, right. you know, to go from one to two to three to X is, is it's not easy. It's easier, but that zero to one and, and somebody, you know, putting their, you know, skin in the game to use a, a good term, yeah. uh, but somebody to, you know, to take a step of faith, like what's, what does that take in your experience? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really, it, it's not driven by the technology. Um, I, I think the market is the customers are really the the most important thing. So I launched the brand new district cooling system in downtown Cleveland, and you know went door to door. You know, kind of you know we 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 analyzed what the age of the chiller assets were in these various buildings. You know, we we're building a new plant. It, there was an existing district energy system, you know, a steam system, uh, but we wanted to add cooling um, and. So, you know, the first thing you need to do is, you know, kind of put your your put yourself in the context of a customer. Well, well, okay. so now so you're going to ask me to purchase chilled water from you. You're you're asking me to take a leap of faith that not only can you produce it and deliver it, but you'll be around for for the life of my mortgage. Right. Um, And, you know, I had a similar experience in Hartford. Uh, We signed long term contracts with the, you know, the commercial office buildings. These were dense contracts, you know, many pages clearly defining responsibilities, not unlike, you know, an office lease with all of its complexities and, and permutations. So, Matt, in simple terms, I think it takes a champion, right, like a Sisyphus. It takes someone um, not unlike Tomas in, in, in Ottawa or Tomas uh, Smetnisoa, right, who, you know, I think I can, I think I can. So it takes, you know, persistence. Um, re- you really need to uh, be uh, informed. You need to understand the value proposition. It's going to vary from building to building. Um, you know, some some buildings uh, like the LaSalle Bank building in downtown Chicago, you know, was connected to the district cooling system. Uh, and and the chief engineer there was like over my dead body. I, I've got these chillers and I can count on them. They're 35 years old, but God bless me. When I when I start them on Sunday at two in the morning, I know I'm going to have cooling by 8 a.m. Right on Monday. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, but if you had district cooling, you could open the valve at 7 a.m. on Monday and you'd have district cooling. Right. Like we think we can we can make your building more responsive, more reliable, faster, you know, less. Uh, and and in fact, he he experienced it and he became one of the single strongest voices for district cooling because he saw what it did in sort of clearing the arteries, right? And, and providing mm-hmm. a more robust resource. So, you know, it takes, it takes evangelist, it takes, um, you know, you've got to know your numbers, you've got to be realistic. You have to have integrity. You know, you, this is not a sale. It's it's literally a marriage. It's a long-term proposal. Um, and I think the, the the people in district energy who, you know, take that responsibility of, you know, uh, transparency and, uh, and, you know, sort of making smart decisions on behalf of, you know, the end users, they succeed. When, when it's people that sort of are looking for kind of a quick win and an in, you know, in and out, it, you know, it really mm. doesn't work. But it, it, it does require a certain amount of evangelism, right, and education and sharing and sometimes taking people or connecting them with others that have used district cooling 
right? When when we launched a new system in in Boston, we would we would sometimes connect, you know, the real estate uh, company or hotel uh, in uh, in in Boston to users in Chicago. At IDA, we we produce every year a, a, a report called District Energy Space, where our members report the customer buildings they connected last year, the size, the service. Uh, the name, the location, is it a hotel, institution, theater, restaurant? I mean, uh, you know, um, uh, excuse me. Uh, and so it's the intent is to provide this, you know, kind of the validation. And, and since we started that in 2000, in 2000, we're now over 1.4 billion square feet in North America connected to district energy, averaging nearly 50 million square feet per year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, awesome. So I really, again, I gave you a really, you know, kind of 10 minute answer for a two second question. My <laughs> apologies. I get, you get me going and I can't That's stop. It's, it's good. We can hear the passion in your voice, Rob. <laughs> Uh, I, I do want to back up though for a second, because yeah. uh, many times during this podcast, you have mentioned your members. And I just want to, for the benefit of our listeners, focus on who who are your members, right? And and then what do you do in terms of educating your members or the community on district energy? Like you mentioned, the district energy space, um, you know that that report. Um, yeah. I presume there's a conference. In fact, I know there's a conference because Matt's been to it. I haven't had the luxury of doing that yet, but hopefully post COVID I will. Yes. Um, I know you have a magazine, but I, and I, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, ra rambling all of those off and, and answering part of the question, but you know, what, what, who are your members and, and, uh, and how do you educate the community? Yeah. So, I, you know, IDA members, uh, own and operate district energy systems in cities on, you know, and campuses, healthcare, pharma. Um, they produce uh, they produce and manufacture equipment that's used in those systems. They provide engineering consulting services like Matt, like Matt's firm. So they they guide people through the process of optimizing, building, designing, uh, expanding district energy systems. Um, so our uh, we have about 2,500 members worldwide, um, and I think 56% are in North America. So the majority are mm. are here in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, um, and 56%, I'm sorry, are affiliated with operating district energy systems. So fundamentally, IDA is, okay. is, is really a user group, right? It's it's people that own and operate these systems, and then uh, and then really the the people that you know innovate and you know bring new products, controls, uh, cybersecurity, water treatment, metering, all sorts of innovations. So it's it's really kind of a populated the venn diagram includes people that make us better and smarter uh, and more efficient um, and then what do we do for them i think fundamentally we provide uh you know the a forum the connectivity for those people that's that's our principal role uh, mm -hmm. um so we do educate through conferences and workshops we have decades of proceedings you know on our uh on our website so you know our our, our typical conference is around a thousand people uh, you know give or take um and we'll have a hundred speakers a hundred you know sort of vetted uh, uh technical presentations uh and you know people take the podium and and they share their experience and they you know they say well you know we started this project with you know with these objectives and 
you know, and you know, this is what we found out along the way, and this is what we do differently, and here's what we, you know, now, and mm. and, and so it really is this kind of uh, uh, community of, you know, people that are making available, uh, you know, I think their insight and experience. Um, so we do that. We have physical conferences. In, in fact, last year in 2020 was only the second time in the history of our association where we did not hold an annual conference. The first time was 1918 during the Spanish flu and the first oh, World War. Oh, interesting. Wow. So again, it took an epidemic, right, to knock us off our pins. Huh. Um, we pivoted to a virtual. So we, we, you know, we do conferences, virtual webinars, workshops. Uh, you know, we produce material. We do work for the U.S. Department of Energy, um, but fundament and and so we advocate as well. Like you know, mm. I've 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 briefed the president of the United States, members of his cabinet, the Senate, the you know Congress, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Energy uh, and Environment Ministers in Canada. Uh, you know, so we try to help them, you know, understand and appreciate the role that district energy, you know, can play in the economy and solving for climate change and the environment. And and today, our our big opportunity and challenge uh, here in the U.S. is with the Biden infrastructure plan, you know, to mm -hmm. kind of, you know, achieve our our role in that for the cities and the and the campuses that want to deploy district energy and could use a little WD-40, a little spray. <laughs> so you were, were you consulted on the on the recent infrastructure uh, plan in the in the U.S., Rob? Uh, I was not consult. Uh, we've had contributed, like we've okay. submitted. Um, I I can't take any pride of authorship, but um, you know, and we're we're really continuing to push that. Uh, we're we're pushing forward uh, with. We've we've actually asked our members. We have an inventory of about eighty projects, or as you would say, projects. Yes. yes. <laughs> Combined value, nearly three billion dollars. We know what congressional districts they're in. We're going to be locate, you know, kind of, you know, creating champions and and making the case that they should be, you know, they should participate uh, in this uh, in this investment. So we ha we had our first. Uh, believe it or not, we had our first uh, budget federally released yesterday in Canada for the first time in two years. So um, no comment there, but uh, we're still unpacking it, trying to understand. And, and it, the, the sense is it's this green reset and it's, you know, coming right. out of COVID. And, and so we're still parsing it apart to figure out, you know, what what is that and how will it, you know, support, you know, the, the right forms of energy and, and the stuff that, you know, we're talking about here today. And right. um, were, were you consulted on that one at least? You know, hopefully. Well, hopefully we, we uh, again, we we have uh, over the last couple of years have met with uh, the uh, ministry uh, environment and climate change uh, in Ottawa and wow, in uh, cool. um, and in um, uh, I, I want to say get to know is it uh, yeah get to know yeah get to know right so yeah. across the river, yeah. uh, across the river. And, and and one issue was the uh, applicability or or making district energy eligible for output based emission standards right so you know yeah. as the, sort of the carbon uh, you know uh, economy uh, occurs that district energy be you know also a, a qualified uh, vehicle for investment and uh, you know I think we made some progress there um, but it, it you know it's Sisyphus there's there's always a hill and always a boulder uh, and 
whether it's federal or state or local uh, issues, uh, no, no shortage of challenge or opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those areas where the, the myriad of benefits, and I, I used to do a lot of biogas work and biogas is similar where there's a lot of benefits, environmental management, nutrient management and renewable energy, but that makes the story you know, more uh, complicated and uh, harder to tell. And, and especially when you get to technical folks like myself who love the details, we sometimes, you know, trip over ourselves because we get stuck in the details. And then yeah. when you're speaking with policymakers, it just becomes, you know, that much uh, more challenging. So um, cool. Well, hey, so as we kind of look, you know, we've 1909, we're well over 100 years. Uh, as you look forward, you know, 100 years into the future, I mean, what what are some of the things that you know are maybe an idea now or or a concept that you're you and the team at, at IDEA are getting excited about or you're seeing some of your members some of that more cutting edge stuff that maybe over the next hundred years starts to come to reality? Yeah, I, I mean I, I think Matt that you know as I said earlier I mean I think all energy is local and and I, and I think the model so in in Europe energy is often uh, a municipal or locally owned, you know, uh, asset, right? So the communities, the reason you see so much deployment of renewable energy and wind and solar in Germany is because, you know, the the customers are paying themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so ownership models, you know, if they evolve to more local democratized uh, opportunities, like, so there's a, um, our federal energy, uh, uh, federal energy regulatory commission, uh, last year released uh, an order 2222 that really does kind of kind of create a new rule book or potentially a new rule book for electric utilities and local ownership and participation in the grid. I'm hopeful that we can, you know, we can move to a more decentralized model. Like, you know, we, and it's happened really. I mean, large central station coal and nuclear plants are, you know, our, really, that's our grandfather's, you know, industry. And I think assets are becoming sort of smaller, more local. And I guess I'd like, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we'll become more attuned to the value of thermal energy, you know, uh, that, um, you know, energy produced shouldn't be wasted. Uh, and that, you know, we, and, and I think at IDA, that's the, I know, I hate to use this phrase, I, uh, but there was once a an ad campaign, pork, the other white meat, right? And, <laughs> and you know, and that doesn't work in all places, right? But it, it's kind of like heat, you know, the other, you know, thing. <laughs> and, and you know, in the European Union, they've really discovered that heat thermal energy is the primary energy consumption, you know, in that whole economy. And it, and it isn't the policy, you know, policy, like you said, is electricity and gas, right? And, and, and when we show up, we, district energy enables efficiency, resiliency, reliability, circular economy. So I, you know, I think our mission for the next hundred years will be continue to educate to empower, to inform, to you know, build confidence, to share, to help people understand, you know, this isn't a new thing. It's it's kind of just maybe new to them, but it, you know, it really really works. Um, and so, you know, I, maybe that's a too simplistic an outlook. Um, 
But, you know, I, I think that I'm hopeful. So 40 years ago, I had 43 years ago, I had my aha moment, right? Wow. Greenhouse effect. This is a problem. Right. I, I am so not alone now, right? Everybody knows uh-huh. what climate change is. We're living it. Hurricanes, firestorms, etc. Uh, and I think we've made some progress. We've slid back a bit, uh, but I really, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that the new people, the young people that are joining our industry and making a difference, they're gonna, they're gonna make it happen. Like you know, maybe we've tamped down the long grass a little bit. But I really have confidence that people are going to demand that we have more efficient, resilient, reliable infrastructure in our cities and campuses. You mentioned um, younger people. Uh, That's one thing I wanted to talk about earlier when we were talking about what you're doing for your members. Uh, I believe at some of the recent events, you are drumming up some initiatives to kind of tackle that next or, you know, really cater and focus on that next wave. Can you talk a bit about that, the next wave of uh, folks in the industry? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was uh, I was at an event and this young woman came up to me, you know, sat down. It was like a dinner event. And and she said, you know, you really should have like a young professionals group uh, or something like that, you know, for for young people new to the industry. I said, great idea. Do you want to chair it? She goes, what? (laughs) And she did. Uh, And uh, and so we launched uh, this um, uh, young professionals group. And we, I think we now have like nearly 70, nearly 70 people young and it, it, young. You don't need to be like under 25. When, what, what, it means that you, you've been in the industry for less than 10 years. That's our criteria. Right. Okay. Um, and so interestingly, there's people from all over the world in this little, you know, kind of group. And what we're really at our, at our board of directors there, basically I was given an objective to help young people in, make them aware, help them participate, help them contribute, help them find leadership roles, um, you know, provide mentoring, um, help them. But, you know, so that's a ser- that's a very important, uh, I think, component, or I, I would say sort of uh, objective of IDEA. Um, uh, we, we had some, uh, uh, we, we've had some members, uh, some chairs who, um, you know, use the phrase uh, district energy, like making district energy sexy again. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad this is audio only. Because <laughs> that would go right out the door. But we, we do we do want to help those young people who have these, you know, very, I think, personal commitments to a, you know, climate future, mm. and and they think it's really just solar and wind, and when they learn about district energy, and you know, so for the last ten years, we've had a a, a student video contest where uh, student groups at colleges and universities, you know, produce a, a a short video talking about the district energy system on their campus, and it's we it's it's wonderful. Like these young people tell the story communicate it they 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 you know they're so much better than me they, they've done like the last 50 minutes of my blathering in three minutes or less, right um so you know we just want for people to not paint you know 
the oh you're just natural gas you're opioids we're not you know we're so much more than that um and we want for people to understand how these systems technologies can really deliver the future that we all demand and need um so yeah, Very cool. a lot of work Very- to do still Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've gone uh, all over the map here, and this has been uh, really, really enjoyable, Rob. As as we as we land the plane, is there anything we haven't touched on, or any kind of for our listeners, any kind of last words, you know, to encourage them, or you know, to point them in the right direction to to promote district energy in their sphere, in their local sphere? Well, again, Matt and, and Lisa, thank you so much for the you know for inviting me uh, uh, to uh, you know to kind of. <laughs> pontificate or share. Um, so landing the plane before we, you know, grab our bags uh, from the overhead, Matt, um, I'm reminded a couple of years ago, I was I was briefing the energy secretary, you know, you know uh, his name is Ernie Moniz. He was former, uh, formerly at MIT. And, uh, you know, he's, he's very familiar with district energy. MIT has really a world-class district energy system. They're doubling the size of of their CHP right now. It's going to 44 megawatts. Yeah. But, um, you know, in this briefing, it was part of, a, you know, a, a DOE plan. And uh, Ernie Money says, Rob, I get it. District energy, back to the future. And, you know, and I, and I think, you know, I we don't have the flux capacitor. And, and I, you know, I, I you know, um, Michael J. Fox is one of my favorite Canadians of all time. <laughs> um, and, but, I, you know, I, I think, I think the district energy really should be, you know, and can be a very important part of the future. You know, it's best days are ahead of us. And we're really blessed at IDA to have so many talented, dedicated, you know, I think smart people working in our space that are just doing such great things. Our job is to is to really just help people learn more, you know, about what they're doing and and uh, and and what it can be. Uh, so, uh, thank you so much really for this platform and, uh, again, you know, helping us. So before I close, I, I stepped all over it. I'd invite people to visit our website, www.districtenergy.org, right? And, you know, uh, there's lots of information that we share. Um, and, uh, my, I, my email is rob.ida at districtenergy.org. You, you know, you can find me on our site. So, uh, if I can help you you know, find or discover or connect, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, that's why I'm here. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Rob. This has really, really been fun. And, and I know you're, you're busy, uh, evangelizing, evangelizing all over the place. So to, uh, take an hour out for us, that's right. We, uh, we greatly, we greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you've got two new disciples, uh, to carry the analogy in, in Lisa that's right. and I. And hopefully all of our listeners as well. So uh, thanks again, Rob. And, and thanks, uh, Rob. My Lisa. pleasure, Lisa. Thank you, Matt. All right, be well. Hope to yes. see you soon. Lisa, for we'll sure. see you at the next uh, live event. Absolutely, I will Matt, be there. Along, that, oh, for sure. Yeah, next <laughs> right. time uh, the whole team is coming. So, on behalf of Lisa Barber, my co-host, and uh, Mark Charbonneau, the man behind the glass. Uh, Thanks again to to Rob Thornton from IDEA. Uh, This is episode 53 of Energy Radio. Until we uh, meet again, stay safe and have fun.